changing your corner of the universe change the world? We think so. You've heard the quote, be the change you want to see in the world. But what does that look like? This is where we meet the people that are walking that out. One person, one idea, one decision at a time. Here's Baden and Rex. Welcome to another episode of My Corner of the Universe. Today, we had an incredible interview with Yaba Baker. Yaba is in the D.C. area, and he has an awesome project he's been working on going into inner city schools, which he was a product from, and teaching these kids through a 10-week program on all kinds of stuff. It's not just Hey, I'm a motivational speaker. Let me entertain you for an hour and I'm gone. It's, you know, it's leadership, it's black history, it's self-worth. It's, it's, it's a really incredible project. He shares a lot of it in the interview, um, just talks about all the things that he's doing and the importance of what he's doing in the inner cities. Yeah, it was great. I really love what he's doing. And uh, it's a perfect example of someone giving back to his community, but also, you know, it really shows uh, the huge area that we're missing in our schools and uh he's helping these kids build a solid foundation and uh you know he calls it critical thinking and better decision making and gosh we need that especially in our youth i mean everyone needs that but yeah uh, our youth and i feel like schools just don't even touch on it you know um so love what yaba's doing and i know that he's right in the middle of the indiegogo campaign so uh, you know, go drop them $25 and help someone that's doing some really good work. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely worth your, your listen. Um, one quick thing real quick. He talked about life growing up in the inner city and then going to college. That contrast was, was really cool to hear things I yeah. would never have even thought about and how that spurred him on his life path. It's not just, you know, the typical thing you'd hear. I don't know. It's cool. Definitely listen to the interview. Check it out. Um, his Indiegogo campaign, his website his, will all be in the show notes. Also, make sure that you're subscribing to My Corner of the Universe so you can get each show as it drops. It also helps us out in our rankings in the uh, podcast and Stitcher store, the more subscribers that we get. So make sure you're hitting that subscribe button. With that, enjoy the interview with Yaba Baker. Uh, We got Yaba Baker here on the call and super excited to do this call with him. Um, Talk about what he has going on in the D.C. area. Yaba, thank you so much for making time for us to jump on this podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So um, let's just jump into real quick a little bit about your background, your history, kind of fill people in on where you grew up at, you know, what life was like and what, how that inspired you to take on the project that you're currently working on today. Okay. So my life pretty much started the same way most people's lives, I guess, start. Um, mom and dad, nuclear family, moved to a nice neighborhood that actually ended up going bad once drugs came into the neighborhood. And really devastated, similar to the opioid, opioid epidemic, epidemic now, where you have nice right. neighborhoods and drugs come in and just devastates everything. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of what happened. And my dad got caught up in that hardworking guy, brilliant guy, actually, um, got caught up in that. Um, because of that, ended up going to prison sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. So my mom had to raise me. And it just, when I turned probably about 13 or 14, the crack really hit really bad in my area. And that started the drug wars. And once the drug wars started, I had. About nine, it actually was nine, nine of my friends murdered before I was 21 years old. Wow. And so it really gave me a sense of, you don't know what it's like to be 17 and not know if you're going to live or die to see your senior year. And that's a really strenuous thing to go through as a kid. And that's kind of where I come in from a standpoint, once I got to the point where I was out of the inner inner city, 
and I had navigated that process, I wanted to go back to make sure somebody else can understand how to navigate the same process. Yeah. Was this DC or where was it? What city was this? DC. It was DC, inner city, DC. Um, DC when I was growing up was the murder capital of the United States. (sighs) Yeah. Wasn't that, yeah, I remember that because uh, they used to have the Washington Bullets and they're like, we can't have this basketball team right. called Bullets, uh, you know, right. the bullets. capital of the U.S. So they Which actually it. made no sense, actually, by the way, but anyway. The Wizards don't make sense really either, right? Right. So yeah. either way you go, it's the bad. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, so like, okay, so you, so you got out of the inner city, you moved, went on to as, as Hampton University, correct? Yes. So... So were were you like one of your only friends in your peer group that got out and kind of or did you, was there did you have kind of a, a core group of people that also uh, made it out of, out of the inner city or what was that like? It's interesting because my actual neighborhood there weren't too many people, but my high school there were. Okay. And so my high school actually had an engineering program, actually one of the top in the country wow. at my school. Uh-huh. And so a lot of those folks who went to that program end up going to college. Um, and going to do other things and things like that. Um, Hampton actually became like an oasis for me, actually, um, because I had never seen uh, essentially African-Americans who were really wealthy. And Hampton University, Howard, Morehouse, all have these wealthy people sending their kids there. And so it's it's an awakening for me to realize everybody's not going through the same experience I'm going through. So that was actually pretty cool. Gotcha. Interesting. And what did you uh, major in when you are in college? Electrical engineer. Okay. So this is like totally different field than what you went to school for. And it's interesting. I tell kids that all the time when I, when I talk to them, I, I had never planned to do any type of writing or anything. I hated English. I literally hated mm-hmm. English. My mom's a teacher though. Okay. So she was not having that. And she made me write and write <laughs> and write and write until my hands oh, like they were hurting. Awesome. Yeah. And so because of that, you never know what you're going to do in life or what God's going to call you to do. Right. And all I do now is write. Yeah. So I'm thankful that I didn't listen to myself and I kind of followed what mom wanted me to do because I would be doing this what I'm doing now. So Awesome. And you mentioned how much of an influence your mom is on your life, specifically yes. teaching you critical thinking skills. What, yes. Do you have some examples of things that she would, you know, work with you when you were a kid with? Almost oh, definitely. Um, she was big on me not being a follower. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. if anything went down at school, I had to tell her what my role was and how I could have made a better decision. Great. I could never mention my friends, even I couldn't begin to say, well, I was with such and such. She didn't want to hear that. Mm. She was like, I'm asking you what you did, how you got to that point, And now look at the consequences you are in. Um, and as I got older, she got even tougher. <laughs> and she was just like, if, if I find out that you're selling drugs, she said, I will turn you in myself and I'll give away all the stuff you, that you got through selling drugs. Don't call me for bail. Don't call me for a lawyer. I'm not going to help you with any of that. You made your decision, you made your bed, you lie in it. And if you know my mom, she was not bluffing. She doesn't bluff. <laughs> so I was like, wow, you used to leave me in jail? She said, yep. I was like, okay, all right then. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it came pretty easy. And she learned it from her father because he did the same thing to my uncle when he got caught. Um, so some no kid stuff, stuff, stolen things from a store Yeah. Um, in front of the judge. And the judge was like, sir, what do you want us to do with him? He was like, well... I'll turn from right from wrong. So whatever you decide, it's fine with me. And everybody's jaw is like, what? Yeah. <laughs> but they all learned a very good lesson that day is that if you've been taught the right way to go and you make a bad decision, there are consequences to that decision. Right? Yeah. That's all those consequences. Man, that's so good because I feel like some people might look at that and see like, oh, that's so cold-blooded. But you're like, we live in a world where kids are so coddled nowadays yes. that it's like they need someone to be like, this is the responsibility. This is what, you, you know, you, like, like you said, 
you made that bed lay in it, you know, yes. and not like, oh, you know, it's okay. Like, well, I'll take him home and we'll have, you know, we'll do this. Like, it's like, no, you did this. You knew, you know, you knew it was wrong and you did it. And this is you made I a conscious happened. decision to make the decision. Yeah. I'm taking How notes. How did your mom <laughs> get that? Uh, I mean, it sounds like she had just such a, a great head on her shoulders and was like a pillar in your life. I mean, yes. what was her background? Uh, my mom was a teacher. She grew up in a big family. Okay. And I said, her father and my grandmother were big into church and they really believe in the principles of the Bible. There and they were really for. focused on that. They, they, I stayed sometime with my grandmother as well. She's also the other pillar in my life mm-hmm. from the spiritual side. And they know nonsense. So if I got in trouble, there might be a switch in a Bible verse. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it got Which to the one do you want where, first? And it, it got to the point where I actually wanted to switch more than the Bible verse because yeah. the Bible verse sticks longer. And oh, it's man. And yeah. bad. Oh, That's man. good. Yeah. And so I think my mom and my grandmother together really gave me my basis of my grandma. Also, my grandma gave me my conscious. And my mom gave me my decision making skills. Yeah, um, wow. because the, the two of them together really kept me on a straight and narrow. And I think my mom, I, t- I tell my mom, she should write a book. Actually, she never right. did it but because her being a single mom in that environment and keeping mm-hmm. not just me, but my other cousin on a straight and narrow was really, really amazing to me. Um, and I never lost respect for her. Um, and she's not a big woman. She's five foot one, like a buck one ten. Yeah. <laughs> I just tell people all the time. I say, if she wasn't my mom and we was in a fight, I yeah. might pick her on my team. Yeah. I want her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's that tough <laughs> so nice lady though wonderful spirit yeah uh, that's awesome so you went to school to be an electrical engineer tell us a little bit about that path okay the path was i was interning as engineer intern i really didn't like it that much okay. um so i ended up starting my own business while i was in college and then that was kind of like a franchise where you did personalized books and you put the kid's name in the book and you have a little kiosk in the mall okay um, gotcha. And as I was doing that, I was still in a lot of pain, though. I was still doing a lot of... I'd never been diagnosed for this, but I had all the symptoms of PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really, really trying to find a way to deal with that. And one of the questions asked me, like, what was the turning point? And it's actually my girlfriend at the time. Um, I just have a really bad temper because of the environment I grew up in. Because mm-hmm. I was always getting picked on. So I went to the other side. Like, you even looked at me the wrong way. I was like, what? What? What's the problem? Yeah. Um, and so... Some guy came to her door looking for my roommate, started altercation. We went outside, a lot of talking, no real fighting. The guy got mad at me, said he's going to get his gun out of his trunk. I was like, go get your gun. I don't care. And my girlfriend's like, looking at me like, what are you talking about? I was like, I don't care if he gets his gun. She said, he might kill you. I said, man, so what? I don't care. And so she was so livid. She took me into her room. She was like, what is wrong with you? I said, I don't really care, man. People die every day. My friend's always dying, so I don't care. Yeah. She was like, your mom gave up everything to get you in school. So you think she might care if you died or not? And that just struck me a different way when she said it. Mm. And I was yeah. also mentoring to my cousins who were also coming through some serious stuff. It's like, you think they might be affected with you gone? She's I don't know what you got to do, but take that negative energy you have and do something different with it. Yeah. And from that point on, I said, I was going to do something different with that energy because it's really, really, to have a kind of negativity in your life it really does pull you in one or two directions. It will drive you in the right direction or pull you down and destroy you. Mm, so I'm very good. glad that moment I heard it and I moved forward. Yeah. Isn't it crazy to think of like the the lack of value you had put out your life at that point? Yes. You know, the fact that you're just like, whatever, people die all the time, yep. you know? Um, and I'm wondering like, you know, when you were growing up, 
when you mentioned kind of like this suffering this PTSD sim- symptoms, like I'm, I'm just curious and you could, I could be totally wrong on this, but I wonder if when you grew up, you didn't realize it. Then once you went to school and you started getting around all these other people who didn't have a same life as you, if that kind of triggered it to where all of a sudden you're like, whoa, like what I went through wasn't normal. Like this is, right. I went through some stuff, you know? And then all of a sudden it became this whole new reality, you know, of like, you know, this is, that wasn't normal, you know? And then you start to have to re- reflect. You are exactly right. It, it, yeah. it was, I thought the way I grew up, everybody grew up the way I grew up if you were black. Mm-hmm. I didn't, only thing we knew of was Cosby show where you had the lawyer and the doctor on TV. Yeah. I didn't really know anybody like that. My mom was a teacher, but it wasn't like she made a lot of money. He wasn't making a lot of money. Yeah. So right. I was trying to, you know, when I got to Hampton and I saw people freshman year, their mom bought them a BMW for graduation. I, unheard of. I was like, yeah, right. Wow. You got this guy. She bought you, they bought you a brand new BMW, not a used one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so it was an, an environment where I was able to calm down and realize that I didn't have to be on guard all the time. Mm. That nobody's there trying to hurt me. And it was a really, like I said, an oasis for me because without that, I was so on edge all the time because my friends are getting killed at the club for somebody's shoe. Yeah. So to go to Hampton and can be totally relaxed um, with all these different African-Americans from different parts of the state and be able to go to a party and go to somebody's house and not worry about being shot or get to a fight was really, really nice. It was different. Was that freshman year there, like a really tough transition in that sense to where you were showing up to parties and places like on edge? And was that transition Yeah, actually, tough? My, my friends thought it was over. They're like, why are you so on edge all the time? I was yeah. like, well, you just never know what's going to happen. And it was like, well, nothing's happening. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> well, okay, I, I get it, but something could happen. So it yeah. took me about a year or two to kind of come down a little bit um, off that thought process. But I still had to go back home and deal with some of that stuff at home. So it was kind of right. like, I ended up staying at Hampton a lot more as the years went on. Like almost, I would go home for like maybe a month in the summer and then get back mm-hmm. to Hampton because I didn't want to be in the environment anymore. Yeah, right. Sure. Did, did, um, so, okay. So, so you had that interaction with this guy at your girlfriend's house. You decide, you know what? I need to start changing the, the, the negative energy in my life, moving around. Um, you're also an author. You wrote a yes. book. At what point, when did the book come into your life or the idea to start writing, writing this book? And for, the, and for those who don't know, you know, the book's titled Breaking the Mental Chains of Black Teenagers. Well, it's interesting because it was a long process to get to the book. Um, I started writing children's books in 1996. And right. so the first book I wrote was Just Like Me series that taught African-American kids about their identity and history mm-hmm. and also helped them understand they can do different careers. Your hobby can be a career. And so I started doing that because I really feel kids in those areas don't really know who they are. Mm-hmm. So they identify with a lot of negativity in the neighborhood. And a lot of these kids aren't bad kids. I've done these programs. I've been in schools because there's some of the worst schools in the areas. And those kids are great. Right. It's like one or two of them that's usually the, the bad apples that mm-hmm. give that pull in the other kids. Mm-hmm. So for me, when I first started writing a book, I saw the Just Like Me series. And I started realizing, started doing these speeches and programs. I said, I need to have a program that takes them from step A just step Z. Yeah. So how to be able to decipher information, how to understand what education is really about, how to become successful, how to build confidence, how to be a leader. I need something I can kind of take them from A to Z from where they are right now, step by step, and get them to a point where they feel like they can be this person that they see on TV or this person that they want to be in their mind. And it's not that hard to do. 
Yeah. And so this coincides with the whole, with the 10 week program. Is that, is your book based on the, like, is the, is the 10 week program that you take these kids through based on the concepts of, of your book? Yes, it is actually. Yeah. Um, so each week we go through a chapter and we break down the chapter. And if you know anything about teenagers, you can't tell them what to do. Or <laughs> they, know yeah. they know everything, you know, they know everything. So what we've done is create a kind of a conversation where we drop breadcrumbs for them and they come to the conclusion on their own. Yeah. So if they decided that's you decided. I didn't tell you that was true. You figured out that was yeah. true. Um, one thing to go over like education, how education is viewed in the inner city. It's not about A's and B's. It's about a process of learning information, taking it and understanding it, it, being able to execute it in another way, another task. Mm-hmm. Repeating that process over again is education. Yeah. So no matter where you go, if you get a college degree, you're still going to learn on the job new information. Yeah. So you got to learn how to take the information in, process it, and then take it and do a task with it. So we try to them to focus on this is just training ground for you for whatever you want to do in life. So, yeah, no matter which route they go, how, how is, how do you feel like education is viewed in a lot of in the inner city? Is it viewed as almost kind of a, a negative or, a, or is it viewed as a positive? It's interesting because I think it's split. So you have the kids who are in there who know it's their way out. Mm-hmm. They're focused. They're, they're your straight A students. They're the kids that a lot of times when I go to these schools, the principals want to bring them into my class. And I do want them in my class, but I do want the ones who people don't see as intelligent because I've been in classes where the kid in the back of the room is not paying attention initially is the smartest kid in the class. Mm-hmm. He's just not interested. Right. Because yeah. he feels like school hasn't really shown him how he can be successful. So it's my job to connect the dots for him to say, I can see you're smart because I had one, I was in one class, it was an eighth grade class, and the girl was so quiet. She, she went to the book. She said, you know, you have this dangling participle in your paragraph that you had to fix. I was like, how do you know about dangling participle yeah, <laughs> in yeah. eighth grade? Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting editorial notes from an eighth grader. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that is. But, yeah, it, 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 but, it, but it shows the intelligence that's in there. Yeah. that you don't people are not aware of and that's what i try to focus on when i go in so are we teaching uh, besides the critical thinking i mean are we it sounds like a, a lot of basic life skills that yes. the the school system is missing mm-hmm. that you're helping bring into the classroom to help prepare you know everything versus just the educational path exactly so it's in the 10 weeks we spend the first four weeks breaking down misconceptions okay and so our goal is to so we take away the idea that black people aren't all, are all these things that media says we are. Like mm-hmm. we're violent, we're angry, we don't want to learn. We break that down through history and showing the intelligence throughout history that Africans have shown. Okay. And so then we go into how you view media. Because a lot of times these guys buy into the gang culture mm-hmm. or the prison culture. Um, and the reality of that is that's not really a culture. That's a perceived culture. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's no benefit to it. And so we walk them through that process and we defeat all those concepts. And once you get past those concepts, we then get to the point where we can build character and still leadership and it's still a way of process of success. So we had to break it down first and then re-input the information we want to put in them so they can go forward and be successful. Yeah. I loved in some of your reviews that you had when I was reading them um, on the Indiegogo campaign of how many kids said their favorite chapter was the leadership chapter. Yep. That's so mm-hmm. cool. Um, it's interesting because a lot of times we have a misconception of leadership. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's the loudest person or the angriest person or the person telling people what to do. 
And true leadership really is understanding that you're a servant and understanding that at the end of the day, you're in charge. Yeah. So you don't have to get loud. You make the decision. Your goal is to make sure the team comes together and they understand their roles, that you build up the people who need to be built up. You, uh, I don't want to say chastise, but you correct the people who need to be corrected to make sure the vision gets accomplished. Mm-hmm. So you have to play a lot of different roles as a leader. Right. It's not all about telling people what to do. And that's why they love it so much because it redefines what leadership is. A lot of them can see themselves in leadership roles based on the description that I give them. Yeah. And we're currently uh, teaching this in, you're teaching this in a handful of schools in the DC area. Okay. And is, is the goal uh, to uh, eventually get this into like a nationwide type of program? It is. Um, And not necessarily for me to just do it. I want to duplicate myself. I want to train other people to do what I do. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people, I have a lot of fun to kids. I actually think I have a talent with teenagers, but I don't think you need that to do this. I think you have a a desire to want to help them and not judge them and really, really allow them to speak what what their truth is and then try to direct that truth to be um, more beneficial to them so they can go forward in life. So the idea is to do take a nationwide, but I want to train teachers, mentors, anybody wants to do it to be able to do what I do and go into the inner cities and fix some of these problems. Yeah. You know, I think it does help, obviously. I mean, like you said, you can do it without having that skill of being able to be gifted with teenagers, but I'm sure it does help because that yeah. middle school age of that, I guess that'd be like 13, mm-hmm. 12, 13. To me, that age, I think back in my days in that age, I felt it's this weird time where you're not really independent, but you yep. feel like you are and you mm-hmm. feel like you Thing, but you don't really have any life experience at least like you're talking to a 17 year old kid like they're at least dealing with a lot more real life stuff yep but a 12 year old isn't i mean they i mean in a sense they aren't they aren't really usually aren't paying bills as much but they right they'll, they'll act like they, they'll act like almost they, definitely you know and i think that's the key to the way we do it because because they think they know it all and they are an adult they are very aggressive about their opinions yeah so we let them say their opinions and then we show them facts that disprove their opinion yeah. And so you're like, well, you said this, but the facts show something different. Yeah. So both you can be right. So which is it? They go, oh, that's true. I hadn't thought about it like that. So I guess you are. I guess that is right. But they decided that versus me coming in and lecturing, right. saying, yeah. you don't do it, you don't do it, and then they shut down because this old guy coming in here talking to me about what's right, what's wrong. He don't know what he's talking about. Right. Very different approach. Yeah, that's good. And so. Uh, how long have you been doing just, uh, you know, the, the schools where you're located? Well, we did two schools already. So we did, uh, a junior high school where most of the quotes came from. Okay. And then we did a football team, um, where we actually added in a couple of things we hadn't done before, which is a panel for professional black professionals. Okay. And we did a program for the parents, which is very interesting because, what happened in the first time session with the junior high school, the kids were home with all the information they were excited about and their parents didn't know how to address it. Yeah, that's great. Um, I'm really and so that. we yeah. want to do, you want to do like a session for them to give them a peek into what their kids were learning. Mm-hmm. And so they can help fortify it versus kind of shoot it down. Gotcha. So, yeah. Uh, and actually when the question asked me, what about parents or other people who want to be involved? The parents are actually asking for their own sessions. Yeah, um, I imagine so. and I imagine that so. was something I got to think about too because it all comes down to having the money and the time to do those kind of things. Right. Um, I would love to do one with the parents because I think uh, parenting and leading your kid in a certain way that empowers them is so important 
Um, and so many times we unknowingly kill the spirit of our kids um, mm. and the guys are trying to discipline them or help them to be realistic. Um, but there's ways to be realistic and still empower them to grow. So I would love to do that eventually. Yeah, That's no, you're, you're so right, man. It's like parents, it's not like saying parents are bad. I mean, I'm a parent, Rex is a parent. Like we say things to kids sometimes that kill right. their dreams and yeah. you're just trying to be realistic, you know, like, oh, you can't do that, you know? And right. it's like, if you don't check yourself, just not say those things, then you'll find yourself saying things to your kids that totally kills their dreams of the things they wanted to do in life. Um, I have a question. How, have you, how has it been received with the admins? Like when you, when you approach the schools, you go to the yeah. principal or whatnot, are they, are they taking you in open arms or is there hoops to jump through in order to get in and talk to the kids? It depends. Like if you go to a charter school, it's much easier because the charter school is run by one person usually. Yeah. Um, we try and get into a school system. That's when the hoops come in. The board. Um, yeah. I'm currently working through one of the county schools now where I've gotten through pretty much 90% of the hoops. And so hopefully I can get through this last hoop because that opens me up to about 30 schools I can go yeah, into. Yeah. Um, and this program, I'm focusing on at-risk kids, but it really can apply to any black teenager. Um, and actually, yeah. almost any teenager, because once you get past the, the identity part of teaching black history, which actually essentially is world history a lot of times, um, the leadership, the character building fits everybody. Right. So the program can be used pretty much for anybody. Um, my focus has been African-American kids because I feel like the murder rate being number one for African-American kids cannot continue. Mm-hmm. We have yeah, to that's a crazy different. stat. So what's that stat? stat? What's the stat for people listening? Um, from 18 to 24, the number one uh, killer of uh, African-American males is murder. Yeah, that's um, crazy. And, and it's, it's been like that for, for what, 20, 30 years, you said? 20, 30 years almost, because I, it was that way when I was growing up, and that, it's still that way now. And it's unnecessary and uncalled for, but it's no one going in. A lot of people are afraid to go into these communities, number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, once you go into communities, you have to be able to speak to them in a way they get the information you're trying to get to them. Um, and that's why my program works so well, because one, I'm one of them to some degree. Um, and you can't tell me stuff that I know is not true. Mm. Um, the soft story I don't want to hear. I know it's tough. I get it. <laughs> but what are you going to do about it? I mean, you can't change it from talking about it. Mm-hmm. So your options have to be what's going to be my plan. And your plan has to involve education. It has to involve a work ethic. It has to involve discipline and a, a plan of action. Yeah. Do you have a maximum amount of kids you want to you try to work with? Like, do you try and keep it in like groups of thirty or less or yes. fifty? Or how, how? What's the kind of max that you would would you like to work with? The max I probably do is 50, but I guess a little challenging. Yeah. Um, 30 to 25 is kind of the sweet spot. Yeah. Um, because there's enough kids that you won't have a lack of opinions. Yeah, you need that feedback. Yeah. You need the feedback. Um, and usually what happens, you get more feedback as you go along because the right. kids don't know what to expect the first week. And so you just, I go in a suit on purpose. I go in a suit and tie um, for the whole 10 weeks because it's also a lesson in misconceptions. Right. Like going in a suit and tie, um, I don't use any slang. I don't come in trying to be like them. Mm-hmm. Even though I know their lifestyle, mm-hmm. I want them to misjudge me, to not to think that, oh, this guy came from two-parent home in the suburbs. That's why he's in a suit. Mm-hmm. And once they hear my story, they go, wow, he's like me. And that then is also another lesson in not prejudging. Right. And yeah. it's not where you come from. It's where you end up. Yeah, that's so good. I would because I would almost think initially I'd be like, "Oh, you want to come in and try and meet them at their level so they can relate with you." But the way you're doing it is so much smarter than, than that. <laughs> like you. You know? Yeah, I think the mistake a lot of people make is um, they think that the way to get the kids is to relate to them all the time. 
Mm. Um, I do relate to them, but it's on a level where I'm going to ask you to raise your game in a discussion. And I'm going to let you talk. I want to hear your opinions. I don't care how crazy it sounds. I had one kid tell me that, well, if sports don't work out, I'll just sell drugs. Yeah. I said, really? I didn't get excited, but I said, so let me explain something to you. That's the dumbest thing I've heard anybody ever say in my life. <laughs> you're not dumb. So you're not dumb. But that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I said, because you look at the path of drug dealers, specifically African-American drug dealers, is either prison or in the grave. Yeah. So you're telling me that you're going to purposely choose to go into the prison or into the grave. That's why it sounds stupid to me. Because mm-hmm. I think you're just talking. It's something you thought sounded good. But in reality, if you break it down, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And he ended up agreeing with me. By the time I got to the eighth week, he apologized and agreed. And he was like, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, that's good. And he, like you hit the point right on too, because like, you know, it probably wasn't, obviously it wasn't like a conscious decision where he like broke down the numbers and wrote it all out. You exactly. know, he was just like, that's what I'm going to do, you know? And then all of a sudden when you show up and you explain it, like, think about this, then he's like, yeah, you're right. That's not that good of a, good of a plan. Yeah, we actually have a process where we talk about the path through prison. Mm-hmm. And so I'd say a lot of guys start out selling drugs around 13 or 14. That's why we chose that age group. So if you go into juvie and then out of juvie a lot, they build this record on you or this file on you. Yeah. And at some point in time, you'll be 18 years old. You'll end up again in court. And now the judge has this file on you about you being a career criminal. So you're not going to get a light sentence. You can get probably a maximum sentence. So you're 18. You might get 10 years. You're 38. I mean, you're 28 when you get out. Yeah. But now you have a record. Yeah. And most time, the, the, the rate going back is like- With 70%. no experience in right. anything else. In anything yeah. else. So yeah. you end up going back in two years. You're 30. Now you get 15 years. You're now 45. Yeah. And from 18 to 35, I mean, to 45, you spent two years out of prison. Wow. I say, is that a life you want? I say, let me tell you, I went to Hampton University. You want that 18 to 22 years yeah, old to be in college. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, trust. Yeah, much yeah. more fun than sitting in a cell. Yeah. Much more fun with dudes, three other dudes. Yeah, nah. Yeah. <laughs> I would choose that path out with you. Yeah. So you're right in the middle of a Indiegogo campaign. Tell us about that. Okay, so this, this campaign came up. I started an advisory board because I just need some help to kind of think this through. And we thought about ways to raise money. And we weren't having a lot of luck. I did start a nonprofit. So I was trying to find a way to raise money because I think this time period to expand it. Because the last probably 10 or 15 years, I've been spending money, my own money to do it. And if I wanted to expand it, I couldn't do it on my own dime. Mm-hmm. And so we decided to do this Indiegogo campaign where you could sponsor a kid for $25. It's a one-time fee. Um, and I would sponsor them for 10 weeks to the program. In exchange, we would give you one of the books that we produce or a water bottle um, just as a gift. Um, or you can just donate um, outright. But the idea was to do collective thought process because I run to a lot of people who like what I do. It's not millionaires. Yeah, right. And so the uh, large numbers kind of philosophy is that we get enough people who believe what we're doing that $25 goes a long way over time. Yeah. So we appreciate every single person who donates. Um, we don't think it, we don't take the person who donates $1,200 versus the person who donates $25 is more important. It's whatever you do, we appreciate it because it's going to help one kid to get the tools they need to lead a better life. Yeah, yeah that's great. You've got, you had some pretty good traction going so far. Do you feel like this is people who have just stumbled across it on Indiegogo or do you feel like people that you've talked to have gone there? How do you feel like the campaign's been going so far? It hasn't been a lot of people outside of the circle of people that we know. 
Yeah. Um, because when I go through a list of people who donate, I pretty much know almost all, everybody on the list. Yeah. Um, but it's been people who've been supporting me for a long time. Um, we're really trying to get to the point where corporations, um, I know people who yeah. run businesses would donate and, mm-hmm. and we would then feature them as a corporate business who, uh, sponsor the school. Yeah. Have and you gone, way, oh, go oh, ahead. sorry. Okay. Uh, have you have you gone through like a work in the process for a five hundred one c three status so it becomes a tax tax exempt deduction? I know it's a, and it's a process; it always is. Yeah, I was talking to my friend about who has a five hundred one c three, and she was asked. She gave me a service that would do it for me, and mm-hmm. I could pay them to do it. Um, I'm a person who like to do things the right way. Yeah, and I'm just not a person who five hundred one c threes have a lot of documentation attached to them. Yeah, and I didn't want to be the person who missed turning in a certain document and that kind of thing. I did that. that they had a crunch on 51C3s recently about them being detailed and oriented with their documents. And so I just don't want to be that person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I found somebody who wants to be that person. We can pay somebody to do it. We can knock that out. Yeah. I that's feel good. like that'll, that'll be a huge hurdle for you too. Cause once you get that, that's when, cause you know, a lot of times these corporate sponsors, they're like, we'd love to help, but unless you're 51C3 status, it's going to be tough. For exactly. Us to but once you get that status, they're like, all right, cool. We'll go for it. We can help, help you know, help that out. But in the meantime, you know, I think any, everyone listening to the podcast right now should go to your Indiegogo campaign and go and check it out. I'm going to pull up the URL. Do you remember the URL off the top of your head exactly for the Indiegogo? Well, I, I know my URL, just like me, world.com has a link to it. Okay. okay. Perfect. Um, Perfect. Um, the Indiegogo is very complicated because Indiegogo in front of it and it's dying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. We'll, <laughs> so, send them to your, we'll send them to your site. They can check out everything that you're doing and we'll put all that in the show notes. And then yeah, there, the show they notes. Can, they, can, so. they can click over to the Indiegogo campaign and help fund you and help you out with your, your project. Have you um, ever thought about doing a video series on this with the, um, you know, one of the groups so you could see the, the kids' interaction? Because I feel like it could be pretty powerful and it might be a better or another way for you to get the message out there or get the program out there as well. That's the plan. Actually part of money that we're raising, we want to hire a crew to come in okay. and film the 10 sessions. Great. We want to edit down to a short kind of like a teaser reel, okay. but then also a training session for people down the road. Um, because one of the things that I've seen happening in these, in these sessions they become really open. These kids are sharing things that they haven't shared with anybody else. Right. Um, the story I tell is it was one kid, a uh, young, uh, young, young uh, African-American young man who was cutting himself. Hmm. And he mentioned that in the class, like the third session, he said, I want to say something. I was like, so go ahead, tell me what you want to talk about. He said, I've been cutting myself. And after sitting in this class, that feeling of cutting myself has decreased. Wow. And I don't want to do it as much because I feel good about who I am. I'm starting to get a, a path of what I want to do in life. He's like, so I really want to thank you for coming here. And it shook me because I was not expecting that level of honesty or revelation from somebody right. in the eighth grade in front of their peers. Wow. Yeah. And that's I had to like, actually go. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say that's like, I know you have big visions of what you want to do, but sometimes there's got to be days like that where you're like that makes it all worth it. Like it does. To hear that one story right there. If it all stopped today, like that one kid saying that makes it all worth it. It makes yeah. it all worth it. And I had to make sure the class understood that they shouldn't go forth and sh- it's not information you share. Yeah. yeah like respect good. him. Please don't go around telling about what he said in his classroom because he did it at an honest moment and we should respect that. And they, and to their credit, they didn't, I didn't hear any, anything after that. So Nice. And you said, and you said a lot of these kids were, were more like higher risk at risk kids too. So the fact that you're getting these kids in there to break down and become, I mean, I would imagine just that age group and vulnerability is not something they're used 
right. to in life. So the fact that they could, that a kid could be vulnerable in that way is huge steps. Huge steps. And I make it a point to establish two things in the class. One is a safe place. Yeah. Um, the thing that happens a lot of times in classrooms, kids want to make fun of other kids. Mm-hmm. That's a natural thing. Like you say something wrong, they, ha, 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 they laughing. Right. And so the first time it happens in my class, I always stop them. I say, here, this is the thing. There's people who are courageous and there are people who are cowardly. To get in front of a room of people and say what you're thinking takes courage. It takes no courage to make fun of them. Mm-hmm. I said, so from this point on, you're going to tell me if you're a coward or if you're courageous by what you say and how you act. So if you're making fun of somebody, guess what? You're acting like a coward. I said, if you want to stand in front of a room and share your truth, that's courageous. That's and of good. course, no one wants to be a coward. So at that point in time, we kill all that laughter. They squash it. Yeah, that's great. It. Wow. I, I love what you're doing. So if people are listening to this, you've got the Indiegogo page. Talk to us about other ways that people could connect with you. Um, you can get, well, a lot of different ways, but social media is the best way probably. Okay. Uh, JLM Outreach is one of our links. You can go to Yaba Baker. Um, also, on all of, uh, I'm not very good at this, so I apologize, guys. <laughs> no, uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, all have JLM Outreach on them. Okay. Yaba Baker also is a way you can get me. Um, just like me, uh, world.com is also the website. Um, I'm always open to talk to people. Uh, my main thing is I'm always here to help or try to make the world better. Um, and if you're on that same path, I want to hear from you. Um, if I can help you anyway, if somebody wants to do what I'm doing in Chicago or LA, I'm open to that as well. Um, the main thing is we got to make a different decision for these kids because these kids don't deserve what they've gotten. That's our fault. We have not stepped to the plate and provided an, an, an environment that's safe and secure and leads them down a path of success. And we have to own that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love what you're doing. I mean, uh, not only because you're helping build a solid foundation for these kids, but you're also picking up something that our education system has missed. And, uh, you know, I, I just want you to hold that vision because I know there's a lot of kids out there that could need you, you know, all over the country and all over the world, you know, absolutely some great stuff that you're, you're sewing into these kids. So thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. But it's been our pleasure and we appreciate it. Uh, we'll stay in touch about, um, future projects and try and circle back again, maybe with, uh, in the future and do a follow-up episode with you. Sounds good. I look forward to it. Thank you guys. Awesome. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much for your time. And if you're listening to this, make sure you go visit JLM outreach on Indiegogo or any of his, uh, so Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, yeah website get it all it'll all be in the show notes okay thanks again all right thank you guys take care man yeah that was awesome man really appreciate it thank you i appreciate it take care yeah if you like today's episode you can find more information at mycorneroftheuniverse.com and don't forget to subscribe thank you today's episode was brought to you by tahoe heartbeat if you're looking for that unique gift to give someone this holiday season, go over to TahoeHeartbeat.com and use promo code LOVEYOU for 5% off.